In today's episode, we have Michael. She's an artist from Pies in the Winter. Michael, how are you? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're very, very welcome. Thank you for taking the time to come on Gentle Touch. Michael, tell me about your journey because you're also, I listened in the other interview, you're a teacher, you're, you're a school teacher. I was. I'm not a teacher anymore, but I started my career as an art teacher and I taught art for, I think it's 17 years. And the, I quit teaching art for good in October of 2020. Oh, um, well, it was kind of COVID time, so everybody transitioned at the same time. And it was, you know, the normal isolation, I think, that we all describe it as. And I had my family at home. But um, before, in the middle of teaching, I had also ran a home bakery. Like I had stopped teaching for a while and ran a home bakery. And so my tendency was always kind of, well, I could just go back to baking, you know, but that made me feel barfy <laughs> just thinking of doing all of those orders again and all of the labor that goes into it and so then I just kind of returned to making visual art my own art not art that I was going to teach a lesson about or art that was intended to sell you know but just making art just exploring it and so the journey was um scary to come out and back to myself but overall it's been really good michael because um the bakery was very successful you're doing orders for weddings as well i was and i was a a vendor for like the, a top tier wedding event center in oklahoma that's where i live oklahoma united states and um it was very popular and, and because of that popularity and it being from my home, I was also working, you know, 48 hour shifts and <laughs> not sleeping and delivering everything myself and baking everything myself. And, you know, I had my family all as employees. So it was a little sweatshop. <laughs> it was rough. I can imagine. I can imagine. Did you... Because there's so many things to weigh out. We have the burnout, we have the skills, and then we have this, the success that you have because it's not easy breaking into the wedding industry because you have to be right. top-notch. If someone's special day, they will remember you forever. I didn't, it's kind of just like pies in the window. I didn't do anything to break into that other than my own overdrive success <laughs> you know like I have perfectionism in me and just trying to I'm a horrible people pleaser and just trying to make the best desserts I could and then if anybody likes them I'm like do you like it or is it good enough you know and like people would be so touched by my thank you letters afterwards and my reach out that they would tell their friends and then um the wedding vending just kind of happened to me because I had friends getting married and they had me come and do their wedding. And then somebody else was like, I heard this person does weddings. And then I did that and I did pies. So, you know, pie weddings aren't as common as wedding cakes. And then the wedding venue reached out to me to, to come to them. I didn't have to ask. <laughs> and that's Ain't how lucky. I know that's how pies in the window was too. I just, I put a pie up and I was shaking and terrified. And I told my sister and my sister-in-law, my husband, and then they liked and they, and then it just, 
grew and I just watched it grow. Now it stopped growing, but <laughs> that's because Instagram is evil and censoring me. The, the algorithm. Um, Michael, how can we describe pies in the window? Oh, describe it like what it's about. <laughs> it is my coming full circle, mixing my visual art, which was always kind of a strong sex positive feminist aggressive aggressive is what my son calls it because I said positive you know passive aggressive he's like you're more aggressive aggressive but I don't see myself that way um it's just a full circle of my visual art mixing with all those years spent baking and then all of the um double meanings you know women being related to pastries and desserts like sexy poses being called give me some cheesecake <laughs> is, is that a thing is that a saying it is a, it is a thing every time i would pose for pictures as a kid my grandma would say give me some cheesecake and i'd be like <laughs> you know but um maybe it's american i don't know <laughs> But like jelly roll used to be innuendo for your vagina or your vulva, um, you know, buns. There's just all these food references with body parts. But pies particularly is one that people talk about cream pies and hair pies and pie. And so that just kind of came about as me pushing back against those kind of references and being reduced to a pie, you know, a piece of pie or a piece of ass. Can I cuss on here? You don't have children. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, and I think that it was just kind of my hard way. Like I'm always kind of sarcastic and I don't know, biting, have biting humor. <laughs> so that's what it's kind of about. Did I even answer your question? Girl, no, you did not go. You kind of went around. You went around it, but basically, Michael does um pies that I feel like I'm blushing. That yeah. <laughs> Michael, you go for it because I feel like I'm blushing. Yeah, they are vulva pies. They are very hyper realistic, like um, depictions of human vulvas to start with. But I also do. I've done breast cakes, and I've done. Um, like I did a Barbie tribute where she baked her own pie and I bought a baking Barbie and presented it as ready-made. And I think in the future, it'll just keep evolving to whatever um, is kind of going on politically and emotionally within myself and just how I'm kind of reflecting the world back at itself. But it's basically desserts as my media. But for the people that may not know, how can we describe what a vulva is for most people that do not know what a vulva is? It's true. 76% of even women don't know or, you know, people who identify as women. But a vulva is the whole genital area, the external part of a woman. I'm, I'm trying to not just be gender normative and heterospecific, but the whole it's the genitals of female sex in there, um, the labia, the inner labia, the outer labia, the mons pubis, where there's pubic hair, and there's a vestibule that enters into the vagina, and the vagina is really just the hole, you know, or the birth canal. But, oh, the clitoris, don't forget that. <laughs> That's the most important part. Yeah, but, yeah, and so 
just using that anatomy for my art medium it's it's also educational thank you so much for describing that but the journey tools that um i listened in your previous interview you had a download i did from the universe you mean <laughs> from anything from god from angels from a loved one whatever you want to call it it was definitely a download um i love that term too and I, i think i don't always think of it that way but it was definitely a download and um I was just in my kitchen one morning. We have really routine-based household, and my husband's family used to be military. He wasn't military, but his family was. Yeah, and so he's he's just kind of really good at keeping everyone on time and repeating, and he doesn't get bored of it. Like I tend to get bored of routine, and I'm always just doing something crazy. You can probably tell by the way I keep talking around <laughs> in circles, but. So every morning we wake up at the same time on school days and then we do breakfast and then he goes for a walk and I take the kids and then I'm just sitting in the kitchen and I feel this like I need to make vulva pies like that's my art and it was just overwhelming and kind of um, like scary like I couldn't do it but I couldn't ignore it I knew I had to do it and I felt like if I didn't do it, maybe I'll never get a good idea again, you know, thinking back at like those calls from the muse, I wanted to be sure and honor it. And so I told my husband about it when he got home. And then um, he was like, well, just do it, you know, just don't talk about it, do it. I love it. I love it. Um, because your is very diverse. Is it a study that you had on your website with different vulvas? Yeah. That study actually came from gynodiversity and gynodiversity is in the UK and they have um, asked people to send in shots and they had a guide for how to take photos and they did a classification study and they actually have two books now, I think. I don't know if the second one's come out, but they just wanted to show that asymmetry is normal, different size labia is normal, um, everything. And if you go to their website and it's gynodiversity, I think .com, but it might be .org, there are just hundreds and hundreds of realistic vulvas that you can see. And um, that's how I actually found real vulvas to look at that weren't sexualized. Because if you type vulva into Google, you will find all kinds of <laughs> very overly sexual or pornographic images so and especially now with everything that's going on and what the media show us and depending on what you search for there are people that actually bleach down below they bleach down below people having um, labiaplasty so to be able to have like a study where we actually see what it really looks like kind of brings us inner peace if we're struggling with insecurities definitely And that was when I found out, like my work wasn't originally about labiaplasty. I wasn't concerned with, you know, women um, having surgery or people being unhappy with their genitals, but that's kind of what naturally evolved. You know, I was looking more at the double entendres and the innuendos and just being, um, you know, what it means having this body part, how it sets us apart, you know, for 
sexual abuse and for rape and violence and less pay and less opportunity, you know, and that's the only difference is, is that body part. And so reflecting on that and being told, you know, as a teenager, I have a reputation to protect and men don't, or I have to, you know, be chaperoned in places, you know, go in packs to the bathroom. But um, I kind of went off on a tangent. But um, So finding out that there were people who felt they needed to have surgery and change the way it looked. And there's even rejuvenation. Like you can go and just, I don't know what they do to it. They shape it up and give it less wrinkles and brighten it and put some rhinestones on it or something. I think they, they um, my uncle's partner just got a tummy tuck back home and like, and then she was telling me about down below and I was like literally cringing. Like you could get the tightness back. So as if you was a virgin and I was just like cringing, like, like why, why would you want to do that? Um, but it's, it's, it's crazy to think these things are on the market and they're just being marketed and it's a way of like it puts shame on us because then we feel like we are wrong in our natural state in our natural form and knowing that what we have to go through we we are females we go through childbirth and if we've had multiple um babies then uh, we have the whole issue with our pelvic floor and it's like knowing that we are shamed for certain things that we go through and knowing that it's like wow you've actually given birth like come on right and then also with my pies, I'm constantly battling comments about that. You know, like people have the, I don't know if you have Arby's. or it's Arby's. Arby's here is a sandwich shop and it's A-R-B-Y-S. And they're known for the, the beef and they have these like slices. Like Subway? Of, no. Yeah, like Subway. And it's like, but it's hot meat. And so... They'll, they'll compare women's vulvas to and labia appearance to sandwiches and like loose, floppy meat, you know. And so when I post images that have larger labia or something, there'll always be a comment like that one looks wore out or that one's been around the track as if the size of our labia or anything appearance wise is from usage. You know, our vulvas can stretch to the size of a human baby and then go back, not in two days, you know, like, but it goes back to normal. And like you mentioned, the pelvic floor, if you have looseness, you need to go to a pelvic floor, floor therapist, not a plastic surgeon, you know, <laughs> because it's only a pelvic floor issue. And they have people that will fix it and give you exercises. I've done it twice, <laughs> so, and I have four kids. So. Whoa, you go, girl. Um, <laughs> Michael, tell me about the process of making a pie because you're very um, detail-orientated. Like, you focus right from the skin tone to the crust to the pie art, and then you also have the after-party. Um, the I am very detail-oriented. I think when I started making the pies, I didn't know that it was going to be that detailed, but every time I tried to make it abstract or stylized, it didn't suit my preferences. So I come from a fine arts background. 
like my degree is in painting and I took a lot of figure drawing. So I just honored it and made it as realistic as I could. And then I was happy with it. And over time, it started with just plain pie crust, but then I started adding color and experimented with colored pie crust and real um, edible paints. So I think that making it realistic was the only way that I could be happy with the image and that it wouldn't be taken for um, like, I think you call them hen parties and we call them bachelorette parties, but I didn't want them to be desserts like that where everybody's like, oh yeah, make some vulvas and serve them to your friends. I wanted them to be art. So I tried to keep them at a certain level of technique. And then the next part was what? <laughs> the um, then, okay, so then we have the skin tone, we have the cross, mm -hmm. and then we have the pie art, which is like the visual appearance, and then we have the after party. Oh, the after party, yes. So the after party was my kind of social commentary on the series. So the first ones, I was, I just smashed them and put holes in them and kind of gave tribute to this movie called American Pie, where the boys first kind of sexual awakening was with an apple pie and his dad tells him I think that it feels like warm apple pie so he sees a <laughs> excuse me he sees a warm apple pie and decides to have his way with it and I had never even seen the movie but I did look up that scene and on YouTube and it's pretty graphic <laughs> and he's and so there was a hole in the pie so I made it a hole in the pie and then I just smashed the pies all over the place so that was one and then another one I focused more on the intersectionality of women and how we rely on each other but it always falls backwards you know so we're not as strong as feminists as you know we're only as strong as the weakest of us and so I arranged them in a value scale of tone and I let them be diagonally leaning back onto the darkest one. And so that was my own social commentary. And then one, I used upside down American flags after Roe versus Wade had come, been overturned. And that's our abortion laws. So I just kind of take the pies and get away from the visual representation of the vulva and do social commentary during the after party. Beautiful. Um, Michael, what have you learned since making vulva pies? I have learned that the I already knew that the vulva didn't just represent women. So I have a lot of times where people feel the need to be seen and they say not all people with vulvas are women and not all people with out vulvas are men, you know, I don't know the... Yeah, 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 yeah. I get it. Yeah. The genitals don't represent gender, I think. I've, and I've made a lot of more space for even the words I use in thinking about people because, you know, I, I know that women do have vulvas for the most part and that we don't, um, I mean, that is, like I said, a focus of why we are sexually abused and why we are raped. And it, it's not, I mean, I don't know. I kind of went off in my own head thinking there, but um, could you redirect me with the question? <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, man, that's deep. <laughs> Sorry. I lost it, girl. I lost it. I don't know. Oh, what have you learned since making vulva pies? Uh, 
What have I learned? Okay, so I'll shorten it and not go so long. I learned to make space for other people who aren't necessarily just like me. I learned that vulvas are almost always sexualized. And so I've had a lot of censorship from Instagram, you know, just by even trying to use the proper words for body parts. They'll say, I can't use that word or my post will be sent to the bottom <laughs> of the pack. I have had my account um, get flagged to where it can't be shared with others other than my followers. I can't monetize my account. So even though I have, you know, like 1.2 million views on a couple of videos, I get told that I can't monetize that. So I'm not eligible for- Why? Because it's against their community monetization policies and that's that their partners could show the videos, I guess, and nudity in art is supposed to be okay on Instagram. It, that's in their rules. But they have a, a little exclusion about... Um, like digital images of nudity, and I think mine are so realistic. That, that it passes off, yeah. I actually did a interview with um, a lady, she's a tattoo artist, and what she does is she does reconstruction nipples for cancer survivors, and what she has to do, if she puts, an, and they look so real, they're silicone right. nipples, um, if she puts it on the chest, flagged. However, what she does now is she, put, she has to put it on the arm, to be able to show it so that she's not, yeah. That's crazy. But yeah, that's how it is. And then it's not just it, the art, it's even the words I type in the posts. So a lot of my posts, I'll just use generic language and not use any reference to genitals or any parts because they get flagged. And so that's one thing I've learned <laughs> is that they're always sexualized. And then I think I learned about pie and, and using, you know, sugar as a media that it's hard, harder than is it for me to get accepted into art spaces because for one, it's um, degradable, you know, it has a short time length. So then I'm taking pictures of it instead of having the actual sculptures. So unless I want to switch them to like textile or actual art media like clay or something, I have trouble showing them. And then I try to do prints and photos and I have entered a few shows and been successful, but um, it's just difficult because people want the pie, you know, the, the pie is so important, but I think that's about it. I've probably learned so much more. <laughs> I know. Michael, yeah, of course. Michael, on your journey with like so many comments and the way like the social media is, the community and everything, what have you learned about stigmas around vulvas? Um, back to what we were talking about earlier where mm -hmm. a lot of people think they get worn out or overused um, that if you have or if a person has long labia or asymmetry, that that is somehow from the use, you know, like, um, and the types of things like, just like those things like that are actually medical problems get mistaken for somehow we did that, you know, like we went out whoring around. And so we wore out our vulva. Now we need 
to have it tightened up, like you're saying. So I think those are the types of stigmas. And um, I think it's also that internalized misogyny that we have against other women and ourselves um, comes out a lot because most women that I've talked to haven't really even taken a mirror and looked at their own vulva. You know, have you? Really, I have, but you do not, did I what? Yoni gazing. That's what they call it. Yoni gazing. No. Um, I have, after I started doing the art, I was like, well, I need to <laughs> do, I need to see what's going on down there. And then just being surprised that things don't look the same. Cause I think when you're a kid, it might be more typical to see, but then after you get older, I mean, we have to go to great lengths to get to see. It's not like a man where it's just down there, you know, and if you have a penis, you can see it all the time, but <laughs> we have to really get on the floor, probably open legs, have a mirror, definitely lock the doors, close the windows, you know, and it's, it's embarrassing. If any, if you even had to get, I mean, it would be to me, like if my kids are coming in and I'm like, oh, I'm just trying to look at myself. It's perfectly normal, you know. But um, I think that is a big deal. <laughs> how would, um, how was it for you? Because I know if at this point I was about to do that, I would feel very uncomfortable. Like I would have to kind of, it's like standing in front of the mirror naked, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't practice doing it, you feel uncomfortable until you make yourself feel comfortable and you're like, yes, I can do it. Definitely. And that, even just that, just seeing yourself naked and not trying to fix yourself when you're standing there. Cause we, every time we're in the mirror, I think at least myself, it's, Oh, my hair is out of place. My, and I'm having trouble not looking at myself in the corner, you know, like, am I talking weird? Do I look funny? But, um, so just to be able to look and see it, it was shocking to see coloration differences that I didn't expect. It's shocking to not see this, image of pornography you know like everything's perfectly groomed when you see a vulva in a magazine or on porn it's just ta-da but ours aren't like that you know there's like discharge and wrinkles and discolorations that weren't there um our vulvas change over time you know so like maybe next time you look if you wait 10 years you know your your inner labia might be larger or thicker it might be gray when it used to be pink you know things just change so i was surprised to get to know her again <laughs> be like whoa so this is what we're working with now you know and so i can't say i didn't identify with people who thought about you know, having a re rejuvenation <laughs> process, you know, like I think I could see where people get that way, you know, like they're like, whoa, it's, I think that's because we don't see real vulvas all the time, you know. And most of the time it's edited, all these pictures and as well, especially in porn, the angles, the lighting, it's all staged. It's never like, oh, you know, we're just going to let it free flow. No, everything is staged. These angles, these props, these um, whatever they may use, the costumes, everything, it's all staged. And we don't think that way. We're just like, oh, you know, they're doing this. And so that's how it's meant to be. And it's the complete opposite michael tell me about your story so you've always been very daring so even with um is it art wait 
wait pies in the window even with pies in the window it's a very daring act it's a very daring act even to show up show up for the ladies show up be that voice even in school so what was sex education like especially um i heard in your previous interview when your friend said ask the teacher what is an orgasm oh my gosh <laughs> yes um she did she wanted to know and the teacher said we could put in questions you know so I put in that question and they were I think it was like write them down and turn it in and so the teacher was definitely not somebody that you would imagine teaching sex ed this is like a very uptight Caucasian lady who's probably just got assigned the job <laughs> like okay I'll do it you know and then she pulls the question out and she's like what is an orgasm and she just was so um she was definitely embarrassed and ruffled and she just couldn't even think of how to describe it. You know, she's just like, you know, the end of the height. And I don't and She's like, you know, when it's all over and the climax. And, and so every word that she described, it was kind of, I guess now that I know what an orgasm is, it's fitting that you can't really describe just this huge release or explosion to seventh graders. I mean, we're like 13 years old. But yeah, I, I was always the one who would run my mouth and speak up and volunteer, especially on behalf of other people. But I don't really do that for myself, you know? Like, I'll, I'll just let it go. Like, I don't want to argue about it. But if you bother my friend or my family, well, then we're going to argue about it. And I'm like, hey, you stop that. How would you describe it, knowing where you are now, knowing your experience, how would you describe it now to your younger self, what an orgasm is? Oh, wow. That's a 13, big 13-year-old self. Oh, 13-year-old self. We could use art, we could use pies, we could use pastries, we could use just, <laughs> you know, anything. Okay. So, I think I would say... Having four kids, maybe I would get to explain this. <laughs> but, um, I would describe your orgasm as just kind of an explosion of sensation that comes from a satisfying sex act, you know, like, and you can give it to yourself or you can have it with a partner, but you definitely deserve to have it. And that's what makes self-pleasure worth it you know and if you're you will enjoy it much better with your partner even if you make sure that you have one because so often I think we skip ours or don't think that we deserve it so I would say that it's just wonderful and relaxing and it releases good hormones and Nobody can, I would probably have to say to my 13-year-old self, nobody can explain it. You just have to experience it. And then 13-year-old self would disappear for an hours. But I don't know. That's the best I could do with that one. You go, girl. And um, also I heard, also heard the story about when it comes to intimacy and kind of like a way navigating. You actually found a, is it a porn magazine in the trash? Oh, gosh, yes. You're pulling up all my trauma. <laughs> okay. Um, excuse me. Um, yes, I was walking home from school when I was in third grade. So third grade. Third grade. Oh my god! Eight. How old was you in third grade? 
between, I think, eight. I was eight, somewhere. That's so young. I thought you was like 12 or 13. I didn't realize it was so young. No, I think first grade in um, in here in America is like six years old. And then so seven would be second grade. And then around eight to nine, we usually have a birthday in the middle of there. But um, yeah, so I was eight probably because I remember it was kind of cold. And I've always been a finder. So I walk with my head down a lot looking for things. And I look for feathers and shells and snails. And I notice everything. And I'm also nosy. Like I really want to see other people's stuff. Like I'm, I'll look in your medicine cabinet. <laughs> and I don't think it's like bad and i don't judge the people i just want to know you know i'm just curious <laughs> and terribly nosy so i was looking and we had the old metal trash bins that had the lid on it and this one had the lid off and so i look in there and there's a playgirl magazine which is naked men in it and almost all men and so i take it out and i take it and look at it and i see um his name was John Schneider. He, I don't, <laughs> you're way too young to know about the Dukes of Hazard, but it was a very popular show with these two bootleg whiskey runners who were named Bo and Luke Duke. <laughs> and so this was, I believe, Bo just naked walking up a ladder with all his junk, so to speak, <laughs> you know, his penis hanging out, testicles and everything. And so. That was kind of my first exposure. And then just seeing, I also found more porn as time goes on, you know, went on digging through drawers and closets and things. Just like my home was filled with pornography and I didn't have much restriction on finding it. You know, like the whole floor of my grandfather's closet was filled with porn and you could just open the closet and it's like books, novels, magazines, everything. And so I got exposed to a lot of very hardcore porn as a young child, just eight and up, you know, because after you see it and you get switched on, it's just kind of like telling all my friends, <laughs> did you know? <laughs> you know, that's probably why I wasn't afraid to ask the teacher about orgasms. So. How, how did when 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 you found that because that's such a young age and then obviously having the exposure when it's so easily readily available say for example you go to your grandfather's and you just open it everything is there um how did you navigate your teenagers because there's, there's there's this element so we have if we don't know and we're naive we have an unknown world right right and right. then I, re I remember when I was a teenager, my friend was like, did you know the penis gets hard? And I'm like, what do you mean? She goes, yeah. It, and then and then when it's soft, it hides away. And I was just like, what are you talking about? <laughs> You're like, no, <laughs> I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you navigate those teenagers from now going from an unknown world to now having exposure to so many different things? I think I became very performative for like I I knew what men wanted and boys wanted so I would kind of always try to make innuendos and, and be probably more aggressive than I would have been because I thought that's what was expected and then when I became sexually active I 
acted out those sounds and things that I thought I was supposed to. You know, this is how women look. This is how they sound. This is what we do. And I definitely were no orgasms or thoughts of my pleasure involved at that time. And so I just thought to be desired, you know, that's what you did, you know, like play spin the bottle, make out, kiss, get to bases on your body, you know, like first base, second base. We always refer to everything like baseball around. So I think I was just really um, knew too much and I always knew more than my friends. So they would ask me questions about tampons and I would be the the, the Sherpa, <laughs> you know, like I will guide you through. <laughs> but yeah. And then I think I also ended up getting married and pregnant at 16 years old. What? So, <laughs> okay. what? I know. I was a fast, I'm telling you, it pushed me along the road. And he was two years older. So he was, you know, adult age, like 18 when I was 16, which here that's legal, but it's probably, I know now it's way too young to be either one of us trying to be grown up. <laughs> you know, Is he the current husband that you have now? No. no we did stay married for five years and we had two children That's so good congratulations girl I know, just but um it was very hard and we were not ready we were just basically playing house you know and we tried to go to college and do everything that we would have done if we had not had two kids but it was just overwhelmingly hard to do all at once now looking at where you are now what advice would you give to your younger self like in that in like just married the two babies and just you want to do what everyone else is doing you're going to go college and then you're just trying to figure life out because at that age i was clueless like i thought i was so grown up because i was 18 but it's like you're clueless you don't even know what you're doing right you don't advice <sighs> i don't know what i could have said because i mean I really just pushed through and I ground myself down to a nub and I went to college on time at yeah. 18. I had quit high school, but I got my government equivalent diploma, which Congratulations. is and then I went to college and I got scholarships and I just pushed and pushed and pushed. And I became a teacher because I needed to make an income from my art. And everyone said, if you major in art, you can never be make money. You're going to starve to death. <laughs> you know. So that's why I became a teacher. And I just always did what people said. So I think that after, and that was because I felt like I messed up so much. So I think I would tell my younger self to trust myself more and that I don't have to please everybody. And I would try to focus on self-love because I think I had a lot of self-loathing because I felt so guilty yeah. for just ending up a teen mom. And there's that, you know, like he wasn't looked down on. I was looked down on. I was the one who got married and they looked at me like I had trapped him into marrying me like that's a good trap for any woman to have babies to catch a man you know it just shackles us to being mothers <laughs> for years and forever you know and i hate to use that word because i love my children but it was very hard so i think i would tell myself to be easier on myself and let people help me 
because then I also became very stubborn. You know, like, I'm going to do this. I got myself into this mess. I will get myself out. <laughs> I don't need anybody. And I became hard and just kind of closed up. And at some point, we do need the help. At some point, it's like, how much can you give, right? How much can you give more of yourself before burning out, before feeling upset, before feeling frustrated, before just feeling lonely? When it comes to self-love um, on our journey, so yoni gazing is a good practice. Um, we can also take... Do people take pictures of themselves down below? Well... And a cast. I think I, I heard that on your previous interview. Like, people do casts and they do photos. They do. They, they take casts and they um, set them around their homes, like sculptures <laughs> they look at and talk to. And a lot of people have um, little altars in their houses, kind of like, I don't know, like, you know, an ofrenda is? It's like an altar, but it's for divine feminine energy so they'll put their cast and they'll put little symbols and things that remind them of the power of being she and um, I think that's a good practice and I think affirmations of self-love and I didn't I don't I didn't gaze at my own vulva to make myself love me because I didn't have a, a problem with that body part. I, I didn't, I felt empowered by it, you know, the whole time. It's that my art became about other people and expanded to people who felt shame. And I just felt shame more about sexual acts and just being a woman in general, you know. But, um, I think that affirmations, even just staring at yourself and making eye contact in the mirror and saying, I love you. I mean, when I first started trying to do that, I would cry every time. Really? And just, yeah, I couldn't do it. And then I had to keep trying and trying <laughs> until I didn't cry. And then I also I read self-help books and listen to podcasts all the time and just to keep that positive energy around me because it's just I mean we're not just all surrounded by high level feminine <laughs> you know energy especially in the world we live in where where people make money of our insecurities of our vulnerability of our right it's like okay oh you feel insecure oh don't worry let me just fill your nose up a bit oh you feel insecure let me give you plastic surgery and give you implants so there's always something coming at us and to be courageous enough to do self-love acts to do that is it's a courageous act in the world we live in because everyone's trying to to make money off us exactly yeah and then I think another thing I stopped doing was compare or judge others because I took that, I grew up really Baptist and that's a fundamentalist religion, you know, Christianity. And then my husband was Catholic. So I tried to be a good Catholic for a while, you know, cause he is Mexican Catholic and just very strong there. And so I think, um, I don't even know what I was going to say, but, um, oh, the verse, judge not lest you be judged. I took that, like I saw when I judged others, I judged myself twice as hard. So I stopped saying mean things about other people in my head. Like she's so fat or her butt is flat or look at that cellulite, you know, and I've always been overweight. I've always been a fat person, but, 
and I don't, even when I diet, I only diet down to a certain level and it just doesn't go away. I mean, I, so I think I had to learn to quit judging other people so that I would quit judging myself because you just can't not judge yourself if you're hateful <laughs> to everybody you see in your head, you know? Beautiful, yeah. Um, Michael, if you had a, a sign on a billboard, what would it say? On the side of the highway, what would it say? <laughs> Get off your phone. <laughs> I don't know. That's, uh, um, it would probably say something like, love yourself. Love your neighbor and yourself. I like that one. I love that. And knowing where you are now, what advice would you give to your younger self that was juggling everything, being a mom, um, 16, trying to get to college? What advice would you give to your younger self? To fill my cup first, because I think I'd spent many years giving and giving to everybody, thinking that I had to do everything on the list before I could let myself make art, before I could let myself buy shoes, <laughs> before I could let myself put on makeup or even take care of myself. I had to put everybody else first, but I probably gave so much worse quality Michael that if I had just taken care of myself first I could have been a much better mom a much better teacher a much better wife you know because I would have always had a full cup but I didn't know that I thought I was supposed to give it all that's what women did we were the little donkey <laughs> that gave everything to everyone you know Michael what is your favorite book my favorite book? Oh, wow. I love books. I think Memoirs of a Geisha. Memoirs of a Geisha. And it's an older book written about a young girl who's basically sold into geisha lifestyle. And what is geisha lifestyle? Geishas are women in Japan who are basically entertainers, but there's also a sexual aspect of it. And their whole life, they are geisha. So they're not like, that's not just a job. That you is can't be a wife and you can't have children or how does that work? Um, only if it's part of like, if somebody, I don't, I'm not an expert, just mainly. Is, from is this still a thing now? It's a thing, geisha girls. And they are, they have the hairstyle and wear the kimono and very elaborate. And they're um, skilled artists and artisans, and they can usually play music, and they're trained in the art of conversation. They're basically entertainers for men, and so a geisha could also be purchased for sex, and their virginity is sold, or it was. I don't know if this is still common practice because a lot of cultures change when we know better or we do better. But in the book, you know, she, her virginity was sold to an executive man. And then he bought her an apartment and kept her. And then they basically had a relationship for her whole life. So it's stories about that, just being a geisha. But I was really taken with that, that story as probably I read it in my early 20s. And so that would have been in the 90s. But I also love... Um, for my art practice, The Artist Way. And it's a book by Julia Cameron. And it's really a 12-week program, just writing and recovering yourself as an artist. And I happened to be doing that when I got the download for Pies in the Window. So I really 
swear by that for people who've lost touch with their writing or acting or any artistic practice. Was it called? The Artist's Way. I love it. Beautiful. And knowing out of all the courses you've taken, what course would you recommend to a friend? Course. For trying to be... Anything. Okay. Any Anything. It could be an absolute anything. I do not know. That's a tough one. I might have to think on that. That's okay. And Michael, tell me about you. How can we connect with you? How can listeners see your work? Um, well, you can see the whole portfolio for Pies in the Window on Instagram. And it's pi you know, Pies in the Window, in the window, my Oklahoma accent to make that at Pies in the Window. And then I also have a website, piesinthewindow.com. And then I have a newsletter you can sign up for on that website. And then if somebody wants to model for me and send a picture of their vulva, <laughs> they can submit photos and I make art from those. And surprisingly, so many people want to do that. But um, I'm around. You can even send me an email at michael at G pies in the window. <laughs> dot com or pies in the window at gmail so i'm all over the place <laughs> thank you so much michael i just want to say a great big massive thank you thank you for taking the time to come on gents touch and also for being so daring because so many of us as females we feel shame we feel insecurities we feel like we don't have a voice and by having people like you step up and do it because it's not easy even just look at the hate comments look like it's not nice and it's like can you imagine you you have to deal with that because you're representing us as females let alone us putting out something like that for our personal sake like it just you know it would affect our mental health it would affect everything so thank you so much for the work that you do oh well you're welcome thank you for asking tough questions and <laughs> yeah i love it i love your podcast and the people you have so many variety of different guests it's really interesting Oh, thank you so much, Michael.